the volume. This session is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sports book for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. How is everybody doing on this fine day? Hopefully everyone is great. I am good, I'm feeling good, I'm looking good. I'm just kidding, that part's not true. I'm hanging on by a thread, uh, but that's okay. Listen, it's fine because this is an audio format, so it's fine. Actually, speaking of that, subscribe to my YouTube because it's not just an audio format. This stuff is up on YouTube. You can see it. You can see these interviews. Um, sometimes you want that visual with the interview. Um, just search for Renee Paquette on YouTube. You'll find it all there. Um, all right, let's get into this episode. This man, Ryan Loco. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you have not. He is photographer extraordinaire. This man, oh my God, does he ever know how to capture a photo? Like, whether he's shooting, I mean, you've seen like these steamy photos of Mandy Rose, Sonia Deville, Rhea Ripley. Um, you see, uh, he takes incredible photos of my husband. He actually shot um, the cover of John's book. If you've bought it, if you've listened to the audiobook of it, that is Ryan Loco's work. Also, God, there's so many more pictures from that that should just be released on their own because John is a late in life male model, I found out. Good for him. He shot my maternity photos as well. So anyways, guys, he shoots pro wrestling. He shoots uh, MMA, tons of different combat sports. Um, he also does these like beauty shots. Like, God, the guy is so, 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 so talented. Cannot stress that enough. He's amazing. Uh, but he's also lived a really fucking interesting life. Um, we get into the whole thing here just from uh, his family dynamic to addiction um, to his line of work, all of these things. I find this guy absolutely fascinating. He's so cool. I think you guys are going to feel the same. Let's get into it. This is Ryan Loco. Do you like Fig Newtons? That's actually my wife's uh, fig of choice. They're so good. I feel like I've like abandoned all um, protein at this point. I'm on like a strict carb diet. It's going really well. Carbs are the best. Oh my God, I love carbs. So for people that don't know, Ryan and I are in a very exclusive new group um, where we talk about Chili Crisp. 
I feel very passionately about this. So I just jumped on the Chili Crisp bandwagon. Obviously, I've known about it for some time, but I never pulled the trigger because I was like, oh, it's just like spicy oil. <laughs> Bitch, it is not just spicy oil. So my problem is I, I, I can't breathe. I have uh, basically one septum is just left town. We'll get into that, I'm sure, right? Yeah. So uh, I need mad heat and spice to taste anything. Literally, my wife hands me stuff, try this. I'm like, yeah, we need to flavor it. She's like, are you kidding me? It's so salty. I don't taste it. So when I went to China, basically all I ate was hot pot. And in hot pot, all they have is just tons of spice and chilies and stuff. And so their chili sauce basically is made out of tons of peppercorn. So the, the big thing with that is as soon as you taste it, your lips go numb and you <laughs> immediately start to sweat. And all you can drink over there, because you don't really want to be drinking like stuff out of the tap or anything like that. So you just had to either drink beer or Coca-Cola because it came in a bottle. And so you're just sweating, can't feel your lips. And so I've been on a mission ever since to try and find something that's the equivalent. And so I sent you uh, a couple of days ago, some examples of ones that I really like. None of them have hit the full lip numbing uh, head sweat yet. But uh, they're all really, really good, really tasty. And uh, I'm a big, big fan. I mean, I like spicy food, but lately I cannot get enough. I want jalapenos on everything. I, I want my lips to hurt. I want my face to hurt. I want that spice. I want to regret it hours later. Um, and to the point that I literally, I was like, am I pregnant? I'm not pregnant. But I, li- I literally was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what these crazy cravings are right now. Because when I was pregnant, I had subscribed to the Hot Ones hot sauce packages. So they send like four or five hot sauces a month uh, to the point that it got ridiculous. I had way too many hot sauces in the house and they there was like a dill pickle one and I was just having that. So God, I love spicy food. Now I don't want this Fig Newton. My tip for hot sauces is either make your own or you have to go buy the cheapest one. Any hot sauce is $3.99, no good. If you can find a good Mexican hot sauce, it's like 79 cents. That's the jam. Interesting. Okay. You know what? I really, I like to apply that to all sorts of things of like, you don't always have to get the expensive thing. Let's not be duped by the expensive things. Let's just like lean into, you know, old faithfuls that come through. That's what we need. I think a lot of times with that stuff, they try to like show off and it's like, oh, look, I have a $19 hot sauce. And it's like, there's a bodega right here, you know, a little corner store. I can get something for 78 cents that will knock your socks off. I want my socks knocked. As we get older, like we lose uh, our taste buds. Really? Yeah, our taste buds change. And so that's why we start to like, wow, I never liked this as a kid. And now I love it as an adult. And then we start to, I don't know if they dull or if they just start to change. It's every like seven years or something, right? That your taste buds change or they morph or some shit like that. I think we like regenerate as a, like we're a full new human after seven years, right? With like our skin cells. Thank God for that. Well, it's good for a little bit. Now it's starting to go backwards, but (laughs) things were looking up for a while. We had a good run. (laughs) We had a really good run. Um, Okay, so you have taken some of my favorite photos. Um, You, like, God, what an art form. Um, There's so many different things that we can get into with this, but you have, um, you photographed so many different combat sports from obviously professional wrestling, MMA, boxing, like you've done so much. What drew you into taking photos of that? Well, it started because uh, I actually did not ever want to be a photographer. Ever. Really? Yeah, I had no desire whatsoever. I started doing small, like little films on a, on a camera. Like I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. I wanted to travel the world, live out of a backpack, 
and just be poor the rest of my life, but creating like little movies and stuff. What a romantic idea. Right? Now you're rich. <laughs> I just found a, I found a very smart, successful woman and I just didn't let her go. Latched on, get those talons in there. You're with me, toots. But I had friends that were photographers that would always try to like show me stuff. Like, hey, let me show you how to use your camera to take pictures. And I'd be like, dude, leave me alone. Never going to happen. I don't want to take photos ever. And when I would be on these gigs with some of the MMA fighters, I would be bored. There's only so much filming you can do. So all right, I'll take some photos just for the heck of it, just to practice for fun. It's never going to happen. And eventually it turned into, hey, did you get any photos of this guy training? Oh, yeah, I did. Here, just take them for free. I don't care. I don't ever want to be a photographer. So take my photos. And then it turned into 75-25. And then 50-50. And then 25-75. And now it's just, it's become my entire life. And I love being a professional wrestling fan my entire life. First thing I remember is LA Rams football and watching WWF superstars. I just love the story. Like it's basically just a story, you know, and I get to tell it, you know, with, with a camera, I can tell the story of, you know, the highs, the lows, you know, you're basically watching an entire play in a 10 to 25 minute match. And so for me, they give me the emotion that I'm trying to capture in boxing and I'm trying to capture in UFC, like the screaming, the yelling, the agony, they give it to me on purpose and they give it right to me. They like search for it. You know, they look for the lens to where to yell to. And it's a dream. Like for someone that wants to show the struggle or the pain and everything like that, what, what professional wrestlers do is they, they put it on a platter for me. And it's up to me. You know, I just, they don't mess up. It's up to me not to mess it up. You know, they give it to me, you know, it's everything. It's really true that, yeah, it's like, it's all there. It's all done on purpose. It is all laid out right there for you. You've been in like some precarious spots though, while shooting. I mean, whether... Um, you know, you, I know you've done some stuff with GCW. Um, did you do blood sport as well? Yep. Is that right? Did done you do blood, blood sport? You did blood sport. You were in there in the pit, right? When John was doing the exploding barbed wire death match. No. So they wouldn't let me. I even told him, I'll go, I'll sign anything. I don't care. Like for me, the memory is, and obviously my wife gets mad at me for this and it's now changed that I've gotten older and I'm married. I'll take an explosion. I honestly, and it sounds so stupid, it sounds deranged, and I promise you, I would take any injury or possibly death to capture an iconic photo. It's worth it to me. Like I have one spin on this rock. You know, I should have been dead years ago. So now I'm living with, uh, playing with house money. So if it means I get an iconic shot and I get a barbed wire around the neck and it lights out, hey, I had a good run. It was a lot of fun. I would do it. Me and your wife need to join our own group now. Uh, you and I can have our chili crisp group, but your wife and I, we can have the like wives clinging on. Please be safe group. Y'all are crazy. Anytime there's something like going on or sketchy or something, I'm like, I, I want to go. I was like, can I, babe? I was like, babe, can I go to North Korea? Can I go to North Korea just for a week? That got shot down pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it did. Let's shut that one down really quick. Um, so when you're in there shooting moments like that, like what is that like trying to like, whether it's like giving the right space to capture things in their like rawest form or having sweat dripped on you, blood dripped on you, like I'm sure you've kind of had it all. Like what are some of those experiences like? John's latest blood sport match with uh, Busick. Busick, he got cut up pretty good and he bled everywhere. Giant puddle right next to me. And so there's always blood on the lens, blood on one of my outfits. Same with UFC, you know, because you're cage side, there'll, there'll definitely be some blood there as well. The thing is, though, you know, I think it helps being such a fan is that you can sort of see what's coming. 
Like I can sort of see like, oh, he's put the table there because he wants to come out from there. Or she is like, put them in the corner because she's going to do this running or this leaping thing. So you can start to, in a split second, the thing is, I don't remember anything that's happened afterwards. People ask me and I'm like, I don't know. I have to, I have to watch it back. But in that split second, I can like sort of like pause for a second and be like, okay, they're going to jump from here. I need to be here. The lights over there. I need to have a wide angle lens because I want to see that crazy crowd person over there because they're going to be screaming for sure. Oh, we got the logo right here. And so that's all happening in, in, you know, a split second. Like I can't do anything else in life. What a skill. I can't use it for anything else. So I got very lucky I can take photos. You've been able to photograph some real like babe shots too. Like not only do you get in there on like the nitty gritty of, you know, John's matches we talked about, the blood sport stuff. Uh, I know you've gotten some really great shots uh, with Punk as well. He's a good friend of yours. But you also shoot the babes. You get those like Mandy Rose shots and you get Sonia Deville and Rhea Ripley, like these chicks that just like serve it up. What is like that day on set like for you? So a lot of times people think that it's like, uh, it's gotta be awkward, right? Because like there's these women and they're like bikinis and stuff like that, oiled up, whatever. And, you know, maybe for the first like three seconds, that's cool. But after that, like I immediately go to shadow lighting. I don't like the way this angle's hitting her face. I don't like the way this shadow's falling. Because at the end of the day, and I hope that everyone I've ever worked with has seen this, I want to present the image that I see in my head of the subject as well as the best possible version that I can. And that's why I feel like a lot of people have that trust in me. Like they just know, like, if you're telling me to do this one thing, I know it's for a reason. And I know that it's a, if it's a bad photo, you're not going to put it out. Because I have no desire to put out a bad photo. It doesn't help anyone. Like this one hour of Twitter fame and retweets that may come for it would then destroy my credibility and I'll never be working with anyone else again. It's great. Don't get me wrong sitting in a cubicle or having, you know, these beautiful women, you know, next to a pool, like whether it's that or whether it's fifth music bleeding on me, like I'm as excited for either one. Like when we did uh, my maternity shoot together. So you were shooting the cover for John's book, um, which is the reason why you're out in Las Vegas. You guys were out there, like got some beautiful. There were so many great photos that people have not even seen from that. He looked like a Ralph Lauren model. What the fuck is with that? The thing is, like, obviously, I know you get it. I get so many tweets and Instagram messages from people. They're like, oh, look at John. Like, he's so beautiful. And I have to like, <laughs> yep, okay. <laughs> like, I appreciate you looking, but what do you want me to say? Like, he has something. Like, he really, truly does. Like, I, I'll, I mean, you do as well. I, your maternity photos, you were made for a camera. Stunning. Just absolutely stunning. And... I, I am so happy that you love them because the worst thing for me is like, I didn't want to send them and have you go like, appreciate it. No, I love them, but I'm one of those like awkward subjects. I think where I'm like, what am I doing? Like if a camera is rolling and I'm talking, no problem. I got this all day long. As soon as it's like, hey, can you look pretty for the camera? I'm like, I, all I want to do is make stupid faces or like be awkward. I keep fucking talking. So my mouth is like, in awkward positions during each... Oh, did my mic just cut out? Oh, there we go. Um, uh, but you made it very comfortable. As by the end, I'm running around with just like nude nipple Only covers one. on. That's like... Only one. <laughs> what one a look. Up. Only one. <laughs> These things happen. These are the risks that we take. And now we reap the rewards because those photos are really, really beautiful and I love them. Um, how do you get someone to be more comfortable? I feel like if people are listening to this, 
and are like me and don't know how to take a photo or don't know how to like find their angles, what are like some photography tips? One, I've tried to find what they're comfortable with first. That starts as like our baseline. Like what side do you like the best? Like what do you like? How do you like to pose? You know, from there. And then we do simple tweaks. And like the biggest thing with photography is, as weird as it sounds, if it feels uncomfortable or unnatural, it's going to look amazing because that's the way the camera works. So that's why these models get paid so much and do so well is because they make walking with a hand back here and a hand all the way over their head and one hand look like it's completely normal. And so the camera loves angles. It loves a little bit of uniqueness. And so a lot of times I have on set like another screen that shows the photo right after. So that allows me to be like, see what we did here? Do you see why we put your chin here? Look how beautiful you looked here, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But it is difficult because really you're putting yourself out there, you know, to allow someone, myself or any other photographer, you're putting yourself out there to allow us to capture you. And a lot of times you can feel very vulnerable. You feel like every insecurity is like this glaring thing that you're like, oh my God, they're going to see the thing that I know is there. And it's like, you, you totally get in your own head about it. Yeah. And, and that's why I hate my picture being taken. Can't stand it. Like <laughs> you give me a camera and you can give me a, in a room full of a hundred thousand people. I'm comfortable. Take away the camera and I'm miserable. I just want to be home. I want to be on my couch. I don't want anyone to take my picture. I don't want to do anything. Like I feel so just uneasy. So I completely understand how someone can feel that way. But really it's just a matter of having a relationship with the, the photographer or your makeup artist, your stylist, and realizing that you're all there for one common goal, and that is to make you, the subject, look as beautiful and as wonderful as possible. And a lot of times people just don't have that connection with their photographer or with their crew. And when you don't have that, you start to fear, just like, are they going to let this photo get out? Or, oh, did they, why did they take that photo? Did they take that photo because I have a dumb face and they're going to like leak it to their friends and stuff like that? And so that's a, I mean, it's a, it's how it is for everything. Like when you have a trust with someone, when you have a trust with your producer, when you have a trust with your editor, your director, the amount of creativity and, and amazing things that you create comes from that. It's all about trust. Same and literally everything. Who's your favorite person to take a picture of? Oh, wow. Besides you? Besides me, obviously. I mean, I've got to be up there. Honestly, and I'm not saying this because you made the smart decision or he made the smart decision to marry you. Yeah, there you go. Get that phrasing right, Ryan. No, John's fantastic. You know what it is? He's, uh, he's uh, got a timeless look. Like He literally looks like he could have been in the 1930s. He could have been in the 50s. He could have been in the 70s. And he, and he could be in now. And so all the photos of him basically you know, don't have a time period. You can look at them. And he also has such a way of emoting and showing you know, stuff, whether it's through movement or his face, little things, little squint, anything like that. He's got that rebel to him. It's like as if you were being able to hang out with James Dean. I think that John is someone who, you know, has a close group of people around him. And while he's very, you know, charming when he needs to be, he, you know, he's very closed off. It's not what I want to say, but you know what I'm saying? I find it interesting because the photos that you take of him are always so like, it makes you look, look at him and you're like, oh my God, look at this man. Like, holy shit. And I know that it's, it can't always be easy to try to draw that out of him because when he's not wrestling and doing the thing that he loves to do, he can be difficult as fuck. It's like trying to get him to do the thing and to like participate, especially to like have his photo taken, which I know is like, I don't know, what does he think is like souls being captured? I don't know what's going on. He hates it. So the first day I ever met him, 
was in Indianapolis for GCW. And he just has this presence, especially backstage of not that he's mean or rude or anything, but it's like, I'm not going to bug him. He just doesn't look like he wants to be bothered. Comes in with his big jacket on, you know, I'm like, I'm just going to leave him alone. And so I was like, oh, I got to get portraits of everyone that's wrestling on the blood sport card. So I go up to him and I'm like, Hey, uh, can I grab you for a minute? Once, once, hey, once you have a time, once you have time, I'm not trying to bother you, sir. Whatever you got a second. And he always just is like, nod, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then afterwards, the match is over, and I still hadn't grabbed the portraits yet. And I'm like, oh, God. He just went through this war. He's sweaty. He's a mess. All right. So I go up to him. I go, hey, man, sorry to bug you. Can I grab you for 30 seconds? And he's like, God, I wish I had a cigarette. And I was like, okay. Got you. Yeah. <laughs> kind of random, but okay. Uh, I'll try to find you one. Why do you want a cigarette? And he's like, ah, it'd be cool to recreate this Joe Schilling photo that I saw. And I was like, in my head, like, wait, what? And I looked <laughs> at him, I go, you know, I took that photo, right? He goes, that was you. And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, and once that happened, wall was done. We're best friends. He's like, you can do whatever you want. All right, let's do this. What do you want to do? How do you want me? Want me here? Want me here? And again, it goes back to trust. So as soon as he knew that I took the photo of Joe Schilling, he was then like, all right, this dude's been around. This dude's old as hell because I am. So he's, he's been in the game forever. So that's what changed everything. That's so funny. I didn't know that. Uh, and I mean, that yeah, those pictures. I'm actually like, yeah, when we put out the, the video for this and stuff, we'll have to like pepper in a bunch of these photos because they are just like, oh, my God, they're so, so good. And you sent us those amazing hoodies with like the film of John on it. Oh, my God. Amazing. You're lovely. I like to make sure that everything is like special. So like prints that I make, like if I send you a print, it's either one or two because I might have the other one, but that's it. I don't sell any of my stuff really or anything like that. Why not? Because I want it to be special. And if I sell prints for $20, then I'm the $20 print guy forever. And I can never justify, well, this one needs to be $500. Well, why? I could have bought that one for 20. And I also want it so that everyone has a chance because nowadays stuff is so expensive and it's like you have sneaker drops that if you don't get it in the millisecond, you're never going to get it. That I want people to feel like everyone has a chance for the exclusivity. And when they hang it up, like they can tell their people like, this is Ryan Loka guy, you don't know him, but it's the only photo. This is the only copy that will ever exist. That's why like I'll randomly give one away. You might like literally if someone asks me and it's just the right day, I'll just go, cool, what's your address? And I'll send it to you. Won't pay, you don't have to pay me. You don't have to give me or donate to a dog shelter. But as much as my wife hates it because she wants to retire, I just want everyone to feel like they have a chance to have something really special. If, if you think my work is special, which means the world to me, then I'm all for it. And I mean, honestly, it is. I feel like it, I'm like, I keep just saying that. But if you've not seen Ryan's work, it just like captures a moment in the person and like every little bit of like personality and, and what's going on in that moment, I think is captured in those photos and it's real nice. Y'all are going to like it. Fight fans come out swinging with a no sweat first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers get up to $1,000 back in free bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just sign up with the promo code Renee. Bet on who will win knockouts when the fight will end and so much more. So guys, if you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot. Join now with promo code Renee to get a no sweat first bet. 
That's up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win, exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369 for New York. The TN Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Okay, so when we tweeted out that we were going to do this, you messaged me back and you're like, oh, great. We'll talk about how uh, I almost died from doing drugs and how I found out that my dad was not my dad. So we've got some things to unpack. So you and I have never um, really spoken about this with the, uh, the addiction issues that you've had and that you've been through. What, where did that start and how did you end up on the other side of things? I mean, you said you're playing with house money at this point. Growing up, my father, who I would later find out is not my father, he uh, was an alcoholic. And basically his entire side of his family you know, dealt with alcohol issues or drug issues the whole time. And so I swore as a little kid, never going to drink not going to happen. And so I went till I was 21, never had a drink. I would have parties at my house in high school and never drink, even though everyone else was wasted. Because I was like, no, I just, I just not going to do it. And then you turn 21, start hanging out at bars. I'm like, I can have a drink. Right? Who cares? And the thing is with uh, alcohol, alcohol was never my issue ever. Like I could stop alcohol anytime. I could have one drink, never not drink the rest of the night. Like I have 30 drinks, whatever. But what happens is, because of the way I am, I'm then like, well, what's the next thing I can do, right? And so moved out and got a place with a couple people. Again, none of this was anyone's fault. Like, I'm an adult. I decided that I wanted to try it. I decided I wanted to do it, et cetera. So then, like, cocaine comes out. Loved it. It was fantastic. It's awful to say. It's amazing. What's funny is that that was never my problem either. Do cocaine that weekend. Never do it for months. Do it all day, not touch it again, no issue. But what happened was living in San Diego was right next to the Mexican border. And so a friend of mine was like, yo, do you want to go to Tijuana to get beers? I was like, well, that seems pretty stupid. Like we have beers here. But if you want to drive the 45 minutes to an hour, okay, why why do we have to go there? Well, I know a guy who works at the bar and he can get us Oxycontin, the pills. And I was like, okay. So all you do is you take half and you feel great all day sign me up. Did you really just say that? I take half of this and that's it. I don't have to take multiple throughout the day. No, just half and you're good. So we go down there, get our beers, buy some pills, come back, take half, feel like a billion dollars. Well, why don't we do that the next weekend then? This was easy. Why don't we do this the next weekend? Then it's now you got to take a whole pill because the half pill doesn't work anymore. And then eventually it's like, did you know if you snort it, it's actually better than if you swallow it? Well, that's all you had to say. So now I'm snorting Oxycontins all the time because you have to continually do it because eventually you build up a tolerance and you feel amazing in the first couple minutes and then it starts to taper off and taper off. And then one came up with a great idea. Hey, you know, if you shoot it, that's the best feeling in the world. 
blows everything out of the water. Had to try it. And also the thing is with, with oxy and opiates and things like that is it's a physical addiction as well. And so it's not like I can just say like mentally tough, like I'm good. I'm going to stop doing it. All of a sudden things hurt. You're, you're cranky. You just don't feel well. You get really sick. It's called, we call it dope sick. So I would shoot it and I would shoot it all the time. Like have to wake up sometimes in the middle of the night, do it again. And to me, I, there was nothing wrong. It was just a normal guy working a job, shoot up opiates all the time, but I was great. And no one could tell, right? There's no way anyone could notice. Even though like everyone knew, like all my friends and everything knew, like I looked like sunken in and just a mess. But to me, I was like, whenever I was on it, I felt so good, but there's no way there could be anything wrong. And then sometimes the, uh, you couldn't get the oxys. And so we would then go to heroin because it was easy to get. It was cheap. And there I am in like a bathroom shooting up heroin because I needed it. It was the only way to function. And it made total sense. That's the worst part is it makes total sense in the moment. And you, you can't see yourself as anything wrong. And in your head, you're like, well, I'll just stop. Like, I'll do this, maybe get through another week and then I'll be done. Right. And then like, there were times where I would be in Mexico in like abandoned, like warehouses or restaurants or whatever buildings were near there because you'd buy it from one spot, but then you'd have to go somewhere else to do it. Obviously you can't be doing it right there. So we're like in like an abandoned bathroom doing it this is just how life is and uh yeah it's like shocking to think like i like i look at myself now shocking to think i felt like this was the right thing and like and i remember my girlfriend at the time she was like you need to stop like you have to stop doing this and i was like you're right you are 100 right i am stopping today and she's like oh my god that's the best news like almost crying like this is amazing i'm so glad She's like, do you want to go get like dinner or come to my house? I'm like, no, I got to go home. And she's like, well, well, you don't want to be with me? Why do you want to go home? I have to do all my drugs today. It's the last day I can do them. And so it made total sense to me. Like, I'm going to stop tomorrow. So that continued on for a long time. That's really common, isn't it? When people think that they're like about to stop and they like go like on a real bender. Oh, yeah, because it's the last day. We got to celebrate. And then I'll never have those cravings ever again, of course, if I just stop. And so this continued on. And I remember one night I was shooting up and I must have had a minor overdose or something because I was at the counter, remember doing it, everything went black, woke up, don't know how much longer, like how long it had been, but I woke up and there was me on the floor, needle in my arm. Amazingly, like it didn't like get all jumbled up in there and destroy everything, you know? And that was the moment. That was what I needed for me to be like, and it wasn't even for myself. It was, I went, my mom can't find me like this. Like, I can't have someone go back to my mom and say, hey, we found your son in San Diego with a needle in his arm. Because she'd go, that's not my son. That's not him. It's like, you have to go check the body because that is not my son. And so I was like, that's it. I have to stop now. Like, this has to be the end. And I did it cold turkey, which was awful. Did that fuck you up? Oh, yeah. It was the worst five, four or five days of my life. You get restless leg syndrome. And so you, you can't lay down because your legs just want to move the whole time. And you're in constant pain because everything hurts because you now have no more, uh, uh, what is it, dopamine or whatever it's called. I don't even know the technical term, but you, you don't have any feel-good juice anymore. Everything hurts. And so I remember it being at like 2, 3 in the morning. I'm walking the halls, I'm freezing, shivering while sweating. And I'm in pain and everything. And I can't stop shaking. And I'm itchy. And I have to walk. And I'm so tired. Like I probably could have fallen asleep walking. 
but I'm so tired, but I can't lay down because my legs won't let me. I'm in tears. I'm crying, walking the halls, and uh, somehow got through it. I don't know how. And that's why like, people are always like, you're always so happy. Like, why are you so happy? My wife is like, you're in such a good mood all the time. And it's because I look back to that day and that week of like, I should have died. With all the dumb stuff I've done during the drugs as well, with you know, going to Mexico and shady people and stuff like that. Like, I should have been dead a long time ago. Someone today was like, hey, how's your day going? I go, I woke up. That's my answer. Every time someone's like, how's your day? I woke up. That's a win. And so I get to do this with you. I get to wake up and see my wife, get to see my dog. I get to take photos for a living. Like people pay me. And it's like, makes no fucking sense. It's crazy though, like how stuff like that works in the sense of like, like how you were saying like, yeah, of course I did. Of course this happened. And then on to the next. And then this thing leads to this thing. And, and none of it seems like it's weird at the time. It must be so odd looking back on those moments, like in hindsight, after having been through that, um, years have passed since then to like look back at like who you were and what you were capable of doing and like justifying it as being like a rational thing to do. But I think that applies to so many things. I mean, whether it's it's drugs or it's alcohol, it's like an abusive relationship. I think that can apply to so many things because once you're in it, And it becomes so normal and you, yeah, you just can justify, justify, justify all day long until you finally hit that wall. And thank God you, you know, hit that wall in the right way that it woke you up without having, you know, luckily done anything beyond that. But do you think back to that often? I mean, other than just thinking about like that day and being able to like, you know, have this new lease on life. Sometimes I get like the freak out shiver. You ever have that where you're like, oh man, I could have, oh, that day. I think back to one day where this is awful. And like the only reason I, like I never really told these stories ever, except like post friends and stuff. And the only reason I do it now is one, cause I'm old and who cares. But two, it's because like, I hope that maybe there's someone that like is struggling and hears it and realizes like one, you know, there's plenty of other people that have gone through it. And two, that there's no script to how it's supposed to end. Like no straight line. Some people go this way, some people go this way. And we all are working together to get to the common goal, which is, you know, being happy and healthy and hopefully, you know, opiate-free. But I remember one time we had to get heroin and the person who brought it was like, cool, let's all do it, which was fine. Of course, let's all do it. And so we went and then the guy who brought it was like, okay, well, I'm scared of needles. I'm like, okay. (laughs) He's like, so you have to do it. He's a complete stranger. Don't know this dude. And so I shot him up and I think back to like, I could have like, if he died, overdosed, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, something happened to this complete stranger dude that you know is your heroin dealer and he dies i'm going to jail like i got so lucky that something or he didn't like leave and crash into someone you know what i'm saying you know and then like i'm i'm done for life and i look back on all these dumb things of you know run-ins with cops and things like that where it's just like i was a split second away crossing the border with stuff you know what i mean like split second away from my life being over and also my mother who it's not her fault whatsoever. She was fantastic. She was a wonderful woman, did everything she possibly could to give me the best life possible. And having her possibly think like she screwed up. And like, I think that's another thing, like for people who have relatives or children or anything like that, they're dealing with it. Like I'm gonna, 99% of the time, it's not your fault. That's just the way we're wired or it's just circumstances. But like, there was nothing my mother could have done that would have made me not want to try it. Just looking at you now, like you're you're in the closet of your beautiful home. Everything's so organized and looks so nice. And to think like 
this other life was being lived before and you're able to pull yourself out of that. You're married. You've got this amazing career. You've got your cute little dog. A walk-in closet. A walk-in closet. I have a home. I never had a home. I always had apartments. I was never going to have a home. We grew up with not a lot of money. My mother did everything she could to like, you know, give us the best life possible. But like, I was even reflecting back like sixth grade, we had a field trip. Everyone went to Washington, DC. That was the field trip to get to like learn about history. Four kids couldn't go because it was like $600 on one of the four. Going to a high school that was a private school, but my mother scraped up everything to pay for it. I'm around all these kids that have a lot of money that are getting like cars for their 16th birthday and getting houses, down payments paid for when they're 18. And I'm like, I got to hand me down this. I got my you know, one pair of shoes for the year. It's a trip. And that's why like, I feel so good every day because like, this shouldn't happen. It wasn't meant to be for me. And I was like, screw it. Let's just go. And it is such commonplace too. I mean, especially with, um, with opioids too. I mean, you hear about that so much, whether it's you're going to have a surgery and they have you walk out with like 200 of these pills. Like, no wonder there is such a problem in America with people on these drugs. I mean, whether it's something that you're just seeking out or it's something that just happens to like land in your lap and kudos to you for getting off of that and on your own to be able to do that. I mean, no, no easy feat, obviously. I, I can't even imagine. My wife will tell you, I am, I'm a Taurus. I am stubborn. I am a stubborn idiot. So if you say I can't do it, fine, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be crying in the hallway. What was it like beyond those four to five days of getting it out of your system? Was it something that did last much longer than that? I think the hardest part, and it still happens every so often, is there was like a, a certain taste, the way the pill tasted, because you had to lick off the time release coating. I'm like a doctor now, based on a scientist. So there was a certain taste. And then also like the way that the spoon would smell when you'd light it on fire to cook it up. And so every once in a while, like it'll hit. I still have no desire to ever do it again. Right in the early stages, like there's times where you'd wake up and like, oh man, I'm a little tired, a little sore. I could just do like half of one and it will get me through the day. And like, I know I can kick it, right? So I don't have to worry. So I'm never going to get addicted again because I saw that I can kick it. So I was very fortunate to like not do that again. But I still every once in a while, once in a while, get those little feelings. And like one time I feel terrible. My wife bought this candle. She lit it. I was like, babe, we got to, sorry. <laughs> we have to throw this candle away. And she loves candles. I was like, it's the, either the glass or the wick or something. That's the smell. And don't worry, I'm not going to do it again. I just can't have that smell anymore in the house. What was your conversations with your wife explaining this stuff to her? I mean, obviously, you guys met after this all went down. Dirtbag Ryan has never existed, you know, to her. It's always been like weird, animal-loving, photo let's just walk around and take pictures of trees, dork, Ryan, you know, that watches pro wrestling and doesn't do anything else and doesn't go out. And so when I tell her the stories, like she's still like shocked and surprised and still just can't picture it. She jokes that like, she's so glad that she met me now because one, she never would have given me a chance back then. I always say, trust me, you would have given me a chance back then. But I'm glad, like, I'm glad that she never had to see it. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that like my, my mother never had to see it. And uh, most of, People that I see now, that I deal with, never had to see that side of me. And I'm glad. And then others that were around it with me, they've also all stopped and gone out of it. So that makes me feel really, really good. Everyone's done with it. But yeah, it's just, it's a trip. And what's, what's odd is that, because uh, I know we'd get into it, is my father dealt with the same thing. 
And even though he's not my biological father, like he had the exact same issues. Did you know that? Uh, I well found out right before he passed away that he was really having an issue because he would have my little brother would have to take him to the methadone clinic to get like re-upped every week or so like that. My dad, who is not a hard worker guy, like he wasn't a wake up at 6 a.m. and get stuff done, would be like messaging my brother at 5.45. We got to go. Every other day sleeps in, but methadone day, we got to go. We got to go. So found out shortly before he passed, he had an issue. So we had some talks about it, which was nice. As nice as two opiate abusers can have, I guess. But yeah, it was just very odd to know that like, even though he didn't have a biological link to me, we both went through the same thing and had the same same issues and were able to get out of it. What was that like finding out that he was not your biological father? Like what all, how old were you? What were the circumstances? So I was 10 to 12. And so my mom had a friend that I met like three times. And that's all I knew him as. He's the friend. Oh, his mom's friend. I remember one time he like showed up when I was bowling in a bowling league. And I was like, whoa, how random that you're here. Like how, you know, there's no way you could have known I was bowling. Oh, you're going to watch me bowl. seems kind of weird for a guy that's just a friend of my mom, but okay. And then one year he came over, stopped by for Christmas time and he gave me like a hundred dollars and then he left. And I was like, mom, your friend gave me a hundred dollars for Christmas. That's insane. Like, why would he do that? And she was like, well, that's actually your biological father. And it blew my mind. I went through all these emotions, like probably in five minutes of like, whoa, like, is this a joke? Like, what are you guys talking about? To then like, does dad, who I call my dad, does dad know? Like, oh my God, he's not my dad. Oh my God, why did he raise me? And then I'm like, why didn't that guy want me? And so I'm like starting to almost cry. Like it's just, but at the same time, I'm happy that I have my dad. Like, and as I've gotten older, I have more appreciation for my father who passed in the sense of like, he just took me head on. Like, not my son, doesn't matter. He's my son. I never felt ever that I was not related to his side of the family. My grandparents took me in and I just assumed I looked like my mom because I looked nothing like my dad. I was like, oh, I just must have got all my mom's genes. How weird. Yeah, it was, it was very difficult. And I never told my dad that I knew. Like, I never wanted him to know that I knew he wasn't my biological father. You guys never had that conversation? Never had that talk. Wow. And um, till the day he passed, I believe he thought that I never knew. I just didn't want to do it to him. Like, he was so good to me. Like, even though he had a ton of, ton of problems, but he was still had a good heart and tried his best. So, yeah, there's moments where, like, like the thought creeps in for a second. Again, I have little freak out things where I'm, like, you know, sad that, I don't have any relationship with my biological father, but like, I'm glad I got the relationship I did with who I consider my dad and his side of the family because they were amazing. I'm just, the only thing I'm sad about is that my dad never got to meet my wife. That's it. Like everything else considered, like he was a whack job weirdo and I loved him and I would have loved for them to have met. But otherwise, yeah, like it's uh, it was a hard thing. At that age too, that's like a really kind of interesting age where I feel like you're really aware. It's like when you start to become like self-conscious about things as well. Like that is just like a very like, I think kind of important age for kids. It was tough. And then also it was tough is like, I never felt like, because I had two little brothers, but I never felt like I had a, a brother or a sister that was me, same parents. You know what I mean? So they were half brothers. And so I felt like on an island 
you know, like I'm alone. Like I don't have someone that can relate to everything because we both have the same parents. That was really difficult for me. Like I felt like, you know, I'm just out there by myself and I didn't have anyone to talk to, anyone to really, you know, understand what I'm going through. And so that was, that was difficult. But nowadays I, I, I still have no relationship with my biological father, but I did meet my two half sisters that he had. Whoa. What was that like? How old were you when that happened? Oh, I'm so bad with dates. I blame drug use. I can't remember anything. <sighs> fair but enough. I, it, fair was enough. A, it was a few years ago. It wasn't too, I knew they existed because I remember he had brought them when they went and watched me bowl. Like, I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can remember bowling when I was like nine. So I knew they existed. And then, you know, Facebook and the internet and things like that started reaching out. And, you know, like, I want to know about their side of the family because it's technically my side, even though I don't have anything to do with it. Yeah, it's trippy to see because they have like photos of my dad when he was younger and it's like looking in a mirror, like my wife freaks out. And then also uh, one of my sisters has become a photographer herself, which is kind of crazy how like the genes lined up. She's a photographer as well. And so we still regularly talk, you know, plans to bring them out here so they can stay at the house and, and hang out. Gosh, life is fucking weird, man. Like life is so, it can be so messy and complicated, but then there's like, so, I mean, obviously there's so much great that comes out of it as well. Like, it, you know, these like weird things that people go through, make them that person. It makes you this, you know, this interesting person that's lived this life and, and walked in these shoes. And now, you know, here you are with this like amazing success story for a kid that it could not have gone that way. Like I always find those stories to be so fascinating and so interesting, but I also think so many people can relate to all of those things, whether it's being an addict, whether you've got, you know, a mixed family, things like that. It, you know, so many people go through those things. And I think like you were saying, it can feel so isolating during those times. But I think as you talk about it more and talk to other people and realizing that other people have been through that. But yeah, life is life is fucking trippy, man. That's one of the reasons why I like, did want to talk about this is just because, you know, growing up, I didn't have anywhere to look or turn to or hear, but like, it's a way to get out there and for other people to like, maybe take something where they can relate to and also realize like, yo, we're all fucked up. Like all of us, like we all have our unique situation. So I'm not saying that your problem isn't your problem, but more like there's always someone that can relate to you. And there's always a success story that you can look to and realize like there is a silver lining. There is a bright light at the end of that tunnel that, you know, you can, you can get through this because back when I was growing up, there were no podcasts, you know, like, there was no internet to like hear other people's stories or anything like that. So you're kind of just sitting there thinking you're alone. Who did you look to for stuff like that? Like, was there anything that you looked to for that or you just kind of bottled it all up? No, I pretty much bottled it all up. Typical. I mean, that's how I am. Like, I, I just sit there and I, I don't really show too much emotion. I cry at animal stuff all the time. That's it. People I don't cry about. They're like, oh, I can't watch this. Like, all these people are murdered. Who cares? Oh, this little puppy got hit by, uh, kicked in the leg. Can't watch. You know what? I used to be like that more too, but now having a daughter, everything makes me like... I, it's, I mean, everyone says that, but it really is crazy when you have like your own flesh and blood, you're like, oh my God, something bad could possibly ever happen to this kid. I can't even imagine it. Like it makes my whole body like twitch the idea of like anything happening to her. But yeah, now when I watch things like people, I'm like, oh my God, that, that kid has a mom or that person has a mom and a daughter and a sister, like all of these things that it's like this, uh, this domino effect kind of kicks in, but it used to not be like that. I think had I grown up now or had the internet and everything been around back then and hearing people's stories, 
I probably would have found someone to talk to, like a therapist or something. At the time, it was more just like, I'm tough. I'll deal with it. I'm going to figure it out. And that's just the way it goes. I think there's such a fear, especially from guys or people who want to be tough in general, you know, of like, I can't show weakness. I can't be vulnerable. And they also, the other thing is too, especially like telling drug stories and stuff is like, so afraid of you going, I thought Ryan was cool, but now he's just a drug addict. You know what I mean? Like there's that fear of like, Oh yeah, Ryan's nice, but now we can't ever have him over for dinner. Like he'll, he might, he might steal. Well, his. that's just because I can't cook you good vegan food. Yeah, you could try. <laughs> I could try. I could try. I was going to make you vegan food when you were at our house. And then I can't remember why we didn't cook anything. What happened was we finished and then everyone was kind of quiet. So I was like, I think it's my cue to like get the hell out of their house. <laughs> like now I would now. I would just like sit on your couch. Like, what are we yeah, doing? What are we doing? What are we at having? The, time, the relationship was still new. So I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be the guy that's like creepy weirdo. He, like he took the photos and then he just hung out. Like go home. Like we want to relax. Uh, now knowing John more, yeah. I would have been like, yo, John, what are we doing? Yeah. Where are we going? 100%. Wear, wear your one pair of jeans. So let's go. <laughs> So funny. Well, I think it was also at that point that I started smashing donuts by the end of that shoot as well. And I don't know, maybe those things are correlated. I have no idea. I also, and I think it's because of the way I was raised. Like, I never want to bother anyone. Like, I never want anyone to have an impression of like, wow, it was great. 98% of it was great until the end when Ryan wouldn't do this or when he got dirt here, you know? And so I have this fear. And it's, it's probably hindered me in my career, to be honest with you, because what happens is a lot of times I'll see people I know doing work with others and I'm like, they should have called me. On the flip side, I should have reached out and said, hey, do you want to do some cool stuff? But I never want to bother anyone. Like I never want a person that's nagging or anything like that. I feel like that sometimes even when like booking this show where I'm like, oh, I would love to have so-and-so come on, but like, oh God, like I feel bad asking somebody for like an hour of their time or like to have, not everyone wants to open up and have these conversations with me. So yeah, I, I can feel like that. A lot, too. I I get that. It's weird. Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download three and out with John Middlecoff only on the volume podcast network. What is your relationship like with your wife? What is her, what is like that dynamic? Is her, like, how does her personality contrast against yours? Oh, my wife is a bad bitch in the best way possible. Boss lady. We've never had a fight, but the only thing she has issues with is she'll be like, call this person today. I'm like, all right, I'll get to it. And like, I let it sit for like hours and like, she is like, get him on the phone. You call him this. You tell him this. He needs to be here Wednesday. Get him on the phone because that's what she does at work. And she's like, she's a stud. And I am just like, because of, you know, stuff in my life and everything, I'm like, it's okay. It'll work out. <laughs> like, no big deal. The only sense of urgency I have is for my dog in the sense of got to get her to the vet, got to do this, got to buy her this food. She needs this bed. Like I'll, you know, do whatever. Or for her, my wife. But if it's other things, I'll figure it out. Like I need to pack. I need to leave in a few hours to go to Orlando. I have them back. They'll get done. And worst case, I can buy clothes in Orlando. No big deal. <laughs> oh, I've been there. I'm like, if I forgot something, it's okay. So long as I have these, like if I have a few crucial items, everything else I can just pick up. It's fine. Um, your your wife is an interior designer? She is. She's amazing. She oh my God. What what a gift to have, by the way. God, we should you guys should just come out and visit. 
I have a couple questions for her. <laughs> Just a couple questions. Well, you don't mind because she might come in and be like, who chose that? It's nice. It's nice. I'm curious who, who chose it and why. Uh, that's fine. I can handle it. I've got that that tough shell. I can I can definitely handle that. But she's worked with like some really high profile clients, right? She's fantastic. Her 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 company that she she works for, she's a design director. And so they have, you know, they do like multifamily hotels and things like that. You know, they they recently helped uh, you know, with uh, uh Serena Williams house as well. I got to fo- I got to photograph that, which was actually really cool. Well, was she there? She's not there. Damn. But I do a lot of their photography for their interior projects, which is really nice because it's like just me in an empty room and like you can just zone out. And so, yeah, I've been been very lucky. I, like I said, hitched my wagon to a smart one. Like I still don't know how she wakes up, looks over and it's like, yep, he's the one. Still the one I want. But yeah, it's uh, I've been very, very lucky. We, we're very alike, but it's still nice to have that strong, let's go do this to my, like, I'm, hey, like I'll wear the same shorts all day go to the store, you know, whatever, grab whatever. Also like, oh, I forgot to grab almond milk. All right, go back to the store, grab one thing of almond milk. Who cares? Oh, I got to drive back. I don't care. Ah, to be so laid back where I'll just go, "Mm, what can I, can I make some flour and water together? What will make some milk? How can I do that? I'll try to find a way around it. Growing up poor has made me so ingenuitive in the kitchen. Is that even a word? Ingenuitive? Don't ask me. What the fuck do I know about words? I'm going to roll with it and make people think I'm smart. I don't know if that's a word. Let's commit to it. The um the oat milk frother thing that you sent. It's amazing. It makes your own oat milk in like a minute. Like I was blown away by this thing. So I'm showing it to John. And what happened was I was actually trying to hint to John to buy it. And he goes, maybe for your birthday. I, my birthday's in fucking September. How romantic. I know. It's like, if you're good, maybe I'll get it for you. Um, anyways, guys, sometimes you just got to make your own money and buy your own oat milk frother. So I am going to do that. Oh, it's fantastic. Also, another thing is you do it with cashews and you let the cashews soak overnight. Put two dates in there, a little bit of vanilla extract. Maybe a little dash of cinnamon. Can we add a little if cinnamon you get in there? Frisky. I oh. always get frisky with a little cinnamon. Get it in there. Oh my God. Sounds so good. Um, well, Ryan, I'm so happy I got to have you on here. Um, I'm happy that you exist. I'm happy that yeah, I'm glad to be alive. Oh my God. Honestly, like what a wild story. But honestly, I mean, I feel like you are such an example of like shit can go down and you pull yourself out of it, whether you do it yourself like you did, whether you're asking for help. Uh, but I really appreciate you sharing those stories. I know it's not always um, easy to talk about stuff like that and making it like kind of public information. But um, kudos to you for talking about that, because I know a lot of people can always relate to these kinds of stories. Thanks for having me. And, and hopefully no one looks at me weird like the weirdo druggy photographer guy. But <laughs> Nah, give you a little street cred. Appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I appreciate my great mocks sweater that you sent me. Uh, Um, And hopefully we'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to Ryan for coming on and hanging out and, uh, God, delving deep into some of those stories. I know it's not, I know it's not easy talking about all those things. I mean, even when people getting like really personal about things can be super hard to talk about. We all know that. So, I mean, I, I always really commend people for being able to come on and talk about things and make sense of things. I find I have a really hard time of kind of like making sense of things or I feel like I talk in circles when I talk about things that are really important and um, 
personal to me. <laughs> I, I, I like, I feel like I start to let that guard down and then it instantly pops right back up. Um, so it's, it's really difficult. So um, kudos to, to Ryan for being able to come on and talk about all those things as well as, you know, so many other guests that have come on here and have been able to be vulnerable and um, stay on track while talking about the things that they're talking about. Yeah, I always sort of like deflect, deflect, deflect. So thank you guys for uh, for coming on and doing that. Um, Ryan Loco is the shit. Um, definitely check him out. Follow him on Instagram, Twitter, all of those things. Um, not only does he take amazing photographs, he's pretty funny on Twitter too. So check him out. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, I will catch you guys on the next episode of The Sessions.